Hey guys, this is Kyle Porter. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, wanted to tell you that I really appreciate you listening, tuning in, giving us feedback and commentary on what we've been doing. I've loved uh, getting to jam on Oklahoma State stuff with Carson uh, every week, sometimes multiple times a week, having guests on. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and it's been uh, you know it's part of our uh, obviously business model, but more than that, it's just enjoyable. It's it's a fun thing to do at work every day. Um, so anyway, my ask of you today uh, is just to send this to somebody that you think would enjoy listening to it. Uh, we always want to grow uh, the things that we have uh, at our website, not only the website itself, but also our podcasts and, and uh, social media accounts and different things like that. So yeah, just if you would send it to a friend, a colleague, a family member, an acquaintance uh, that loves OSU that you think would like it, uh, and just have them subscribe, have them download, we would really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, thanks for doing that, and hope you guys have a very good uh, holiday season. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, fresh back from New York City in the Heisman Ceremony. Uh, Taylor Cornelius was not invited this year, Kyle. <laughs> but uh, I'm joined by Kyle Porter as well. Yeah, I want I want to hear about that. We got a we got a few things to get to. We're gonna go go over our uh, superlatives for the season uh, at the end of the show. I, I wrote on that on. I guess it was Monday, uh, but yeah, there, it, December's always a weird month. You know, there's always like nothing going on, but a ton going on at the same time. Um, Oklahoma State doesn't, they don't play that much in terms of obviously football and, and even basketball, they got time off. So it's really a, a, a kind of a, a strange month, but there's always news. You've got signing day, you've got all these things going on. Uh, but do you want to, do you want to start with uh, what we saw at Gallagher-Ibo on Saturday? Sure. I mean, I was in New York. I didn't get to watch much of the game, but obviously the, the big story was was Kelvin reacting yeah. to to seeing Eddie in his, his current condition. I, I saw the clips like everybody else. I was, you know, I tried to say before the game on our podcast last week, like, I wouldn't mind seeing some cheers for Kelvin for that, that the gesture he did in 2001 with the orange shirts uh, right after the plane crash, having his team warm up in orange and then pass out the shirts afterwards, I thought was great. And and it was a heated, heated, heated rivalry with a lot of sports hate. But there was a lot of respect there, even in the moment. You respected Kelvin as a coach. And as I told him, he's a great guy off the court as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was uh, – man, I thought it was – you see stuff like that and, and you wonder how real it is and you're like, eh, okay, you know, whatever. That just seems so real. That seems like he was so – overcome and and i think that part of it is you know he talked about how he hadn't seen him in a long time and i think mm-hmm. it can be so overwhelming to see somebody in person who has sort of um just i mean eddie's just deteriorated over the last 5 10 15 years in terms of his health like he just is is gone you know he, he's 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 getting older he's he's not doing great it doesn't seem like and so I think to kind of experience that in person when you remember the weeks and months and years that you did battle and you you put this time in that's a that's a pretty staggering thing and I think it was pretty it was it was a very humanizing moment Uh, not just for Kelvin but just for for all of us for 
covering sports and covering college sports, it seems so, these games seem so important. And then you see that and you're like, Oh, okay. This is, this is the bigger picture. Well, just to put it in perspective, Eddie is, is one year older than Barry Switzer. Yeah. And just, just look at the difference in, in health. Isn't that and, crazy? And the, the kind of shape that, that both guys are in. And it really has been rapid. I mean, I don't know if he, if he has some sort of disease or, or if, or what? But Eddie, I mean, I, th- I think that was the biggest reason Kelvin reacted the way he was just in shock. Yeah. At at the condition Eddie has has been down to, and I think it, it it was almost as if he was reacting like like he was at a funeral almost in a way. And and I totally I, I totally agree with him. It really is shocking to see Eddie, and I did think it was almost surprising in a way how emotional Kelvin was. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to hear him. I thought the most interesting, interesting thing he said was he knew that when he showed up and he wasn't absolutely 100% having his team prepared, that Eddie would find ways to exploit that. I thought that was so true. And that's something I'll always remember growing up watching Eddie said in basketball was halftime adjustments. Me and my dad would always say, okay, we, we got it to halftime. Eddie's going to come up with some stuff here, and they're going to win the game. And that that happened nearly every single game I watched in Gallagher Iba. So that was cool to see. I mean, it was a really really cool moment. I thought when Kelvin went over and, and said hello to him as well on the side of the court. And unfortunately, OSU lost, but I, I did think it was kind of a, a walk down memory lane for both of those two. Yeah, it's the old thing about how like Eddie will beat you with. Uh, this is not. I don't think specific to Eddie Sutton, but he'll beat you with his players in the first half and your players. Like if you switch players, he could beat you with your players in the second half. <laughs> I always thought that was uh, my dad. Yeah. always said that I always thought that was great, but yeah, it was uh, it, the, the, the funny thing about all of this is that Kelvin is in like that, uh, Tony LaRusa, Tim Duncan group where he looks, he, he looks like the same age. Like he, yeah, he doesn't, look, he really does. He doesn't look any older. And, uh, it's just it's it would be crazy. We we should have done this, but just to put a picture of, you know, from I'd say ninety nine or whatever of Kelvin to now, and then Eddie to now, and and the differences would be would be pretty stark. And I think you know the other thing is like you don't know you know when's when's the last time you're gonna see somebody, and and uh, I don't know it, that 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 affected me. That was that was really. Uh, I, I thought moving and, and re- really an interesting thing that, that kind of came out of Gallagher on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it gave you chills watching it. And uh, I don't mean to portray Kelvin as, you know, some kind of saint. I think I thought OKC Dave pointed it out in the comments on one of your articles <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Uh, you know, he had a, a huge hand in Will Bynum not coming to Oklahoma State. Although, am I misremembering this, Kyle? Didn't it mean if, if they got Will Bynum, they wouldn't have gotten John Lucas, I think, right? I think that's right, yeah. I'd say that was a pretty good trade-off. Yeah. As much as people want to get on Kelvin for negatively recruiting to Oklahoma, against Oklahoma State, and that's true, and he, he got in trouble for many recruiting violations, so that's nothing new. But So I don't mean to make it like he's this patron saint of, of basketball coaches to Oklahoma State, but it, I thought that was above and beyond cool what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to move on to another coach that Oklahoma State fans love? Sure. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of Mike Yurcich to Tennessee smoke, and this kind of came out there. I don't know. I haven't been reading Twitter, and it was on Twitter, and I it, it was like this parody account that, but that insisted that Mike Yurcich was going to Tennessee as the offensive coordinator. Tennessee's offensive coordinator had recently been hired by, uh, I believe, Western Kentucky. It's it's. 
Clay Hilton's brother, the USC coach's brother, is now the head coach at Western Kentucky. He made 1.2 mil as the Tennessee offensive coordinator last year. It's about 400K more than Mike Yurcich, but uh, apparently Yurcich has, has interviewed uh, with, with Tennessee, um, although that's, I, I, you know, that, that was reported by a legitimate place. Uh, this other thing about him being hired was not a legitimate outlet or person or, or whatever, but I, I don't know. The, the whole thing struck me as kind of odd. Like it, it just, it's not a move that I see Mike Yursich making. Although I guess if you interview somewhere or talk to somebody, you, you sort of have an, in, the intention of making the move. I, I don't know. What were your thoughts coming out of all that? Well, I do think there's legitimacy to all the smoke. I mean, Jake Trotter was just on the radio here in Oklahoma City, and he's he's saying he's heard they've they've met, they've interviewed, and they've talked, and that Tennessee would like to hire him. It's yeah. just a matter of would he like to go. And I, I think it would be a poor move on on Mike Yurcich's part. I mean, you got Casey Dunn reeling in Bolitnikov after Bolitnikov after Bolitnikov. <laughs> you've got you've got uh, should have won another one this year. You've got uh, you know Costello coming into an already loaded room with Spencer Sanders. Uh, you got a rolling right now, and I think you could, you have the I think he should wait for a head coaching job, don't you? I mean, why would you take another offensive coordinator job? And let, you know, if they're going to pay you two million dollars, okay, then maybe you'll listen. But or maybe even a million and a half, maybe you listen. It's money, money talks. I understand that, but uh, I don't know. Jeremy Pruitt's in his, just finished his first season at Tennessee. He could be there another year or two and be gone. So the, the job security for me would be would be questionable. But I do think it's interesting for people who think Mike Gersich can't coach his way out of a paper bag that uh, Tennessee's coming after him. I think that kind of flies in the face of your just doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be hard. So Tennessee's offense was 110th last year in points per drive, which is just, it's atrocious. It's like TCU bad Kansas. It's worse than Kansas state. And so and their OC got their OC got a head coaching job too. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was reading about him and, and people were calling him like the greatest motivational speaker I've ever heard. And so you're like, yeah, okay, that's, I get it. But I, yours just might look at that and be like, okay, so I can get a 33% raise and, or I guess 50% raise and go. And all I have to do is be better than 110th when I'm just posting top 25 after top 25 offense at OSU okay yeah i'll listen you know i i think i think that's totally a fair thing i just don't know i, I i'm curious about what his goals are does he want to be a head coach i i don't i don't know that everybody does i think that's what everybody assumes that you're supposed to want but i'm not i'm not sure that he does or if that's you know the world that he wants to live in so to speak well i think every coach eventually would like to be a head coach more money um more prestige and i think that's the goal of nearly every assistant coach is ultimately be a head coach, but, but who knows? I mean, he might just like it in Stillwater, much like Casey Dunn loves it in Stillwater. I mean, Casey Dunn, you would think could go decide, would go pick where he wants to work with how many Blitnikoff award winners he's, he has and uh, finalists with Tylen Wallace. So I don't know, but I, I don't think he's going to Tennessee, but I, I do think there is, I think, I do think he has the chance to, if he wants to, we'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, okay. Speaking of the Blitnikoff, we're going to, we had something different written on the rundown, but uh, I think the Bolitnikoff thing is more interesting. Tylen Wallace, we, I don't, we haven't taped anything since it was announced. He gets beat out uh, by Judy at um, at Alabama, and uh, it was kind of – it just felt like 
people were voting for the team a little bit. Judy's stats were a lot worse. Um, but part of that is like, I, I don't know. It, it, it's so, these things are like the, the margin. We talk about thin margins all year. And with stuff like this, you're just like, I don't know who the best guy is. They all have good stats. They all play different styles. Like you, you're kind of just, you're just picking whoever you like, or I, I guess you're picking the best team. I, I don't know. Just what were your thoughts coming out of the bullet, Nicole? I mean, I predicted Judy was going to win, so it wasn't that surprising to me. I just thought, and I, I think in a way it was it was kind of a minor version of what Kyler Murray did on Championship Saturday, juxtaposed to what Tua did. And you know, Tylen Wallace was sitting at home on a six and six team, while Judy had a huge game in the SEC title game, caught a touchdown. I can't remember how many yards he had, but kind of made that final statement. And when voters sit down to vote, they they look at the numbers, sure, and they, they could probably rationalize to themselves, okay, the numbers are close enough. Judy was on the best team and had that huge game. So I, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't even – I wasn't – I was one of the few in, in the minority that wasn't just disgusted with, with it. I mean, I, I understand Tylen Wallace had better numbers, better yards. Uh, I thought Tylen Wallace should have won, let me be clear, but I just – I didn't think it was totally egregious considering – you know, Judy plays on the best team and plays for Alabama. That, that's kind of where I where I come from. Is it it did seem like it was a a team vote more than just an individual. And maybe maybe they're just tired of voting for guys for OSU. Are they gonna be like, are we are we gonna send a guy from OSU to the Blitnikoff every single year? Maybe that maybe there's some voter fatigue as well. So last five games for for uh, Jerry Judy, he had uh, so starting with LSU on November third, he had eight for one hundred three, no touchdowns. Mississippi State six for forty five yards, no touchdowns. Citadel, six for 77 yards, no touchdowns. Auburn, five for 77, one touchdown. Georgia, three for 24, one touchdown. That's not, that's not very good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine, but if, if we're talking about I, – I, and I get what you're saying with the SEC title. I think that plays into it. And, um, but, it but if we're talking about momentum and, and all these different things. Like it wasn't like Judy came flying into the, to the end of the regular season with all these hundred yard games, you know, three touchdowns in a game. He, he just sort of, he was just kind of there. He's just like a, a piece. I mean, he's, I'm not saying he's not good. He's obviously very good. Um, but then you also have to look at who was throwing to each guy too. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it's different when two is thrown to you than, than Taylor Cornelius and, I don't know. My idea with all of this is let the players vote. Let the guys that are on the field vote. I know that's half-baked and maybe dumb, but you've got media members like myself breaking down, you know, left guards and right tackles and it's like I don't I don't I don't know. Like I don't I can't tell the difference and very few people that vote on this stuff can. I, I think it's different when you're voting on something like the Heisman. But for this other stuff, I'd love to see player. I'd love to see how it came out if players voted and were like, "This is the best guy. This is the best guy I faced all year." So, like every single player in the country votes. I don't. Know. I don't know. I don't know how it would work. You could do it for conferences, like in the Big Twelve. You could give every player a ballot and say who is the best receiver you guys you 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 went against. And then yeah, but I mean that's gonna they're gonna vote against the guy that had the biggest game, right? Sure. They only, see him, they only see him once a week or once a year. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like I said, half baked. There's there's a lot of holes. But uh, like would, TC, would TCU have voted for Tylen? They probably would have voted for Marquise Brown or CD Lamb or somebody like well, that. Well, have a great game every week then. I mean, that's part <laughs> of it, right? Yeah. 
Like we, well, Tylen Tylen would have got more votes than uh, anybody else. That's for sure. Yeah. Did you think? Did you think Ty? You cover both guys. Did you think Tylen or Marquise Brown had a better year? I think if Marquise Brown didn't get hurt, he would have won the Blitnikoff in a runaway. Mm. He he got nicked up with his ankle and was not. It was against TCU. He bar- barely played. He barely played the following week. He had a, two or three games where he was not full speed. And then you could see him again at full speed at the end of the year. You're like, whoa, he's back. And he was scoring 100 yards and a touchdown every single game. So I thought Tylen should have won it. I think if Marquise would have stayed healthy, he would have won it. But that's why you play the season. He didn't stay healthy. Uh, speaking of awards, you were in New York uh, for the Heisman. Your first first time there, I believe, for, for the Heisman anyway. What, what, was, uh, what was that like? It was it was interesting because you know they hold it at the um, the Marriott Marquis and then they do it over like that's where the, like the press conference is the media and they do the actual ceremony across the street and the media is not allowed to go to the actual ceremony so we we hang out at the media center and watch it on TV like everybody else but it was interesting in that everywhere you went no one knew the Heisman was going on there was mm. like one little sign in the lobby. And that was it. And like no one else knew it was it was happening. Like that's how busy New York is. Like no one was bothered or cared that the Heisman was going on. But uh, you know, I've been in New York many times. We were live in Times Square on Friday, which was just nuts. People just everywhere. It was crazy. Um, I thought it was interesting. Just you know, you had three blue blood programs there for the media. You had Ohio State media, you had Alabama media, and you had Oklahoma. So it was a horde of media, and it was it was. Uh, I was surprised at how the vote went. I thought it would be a lot closer than it was. Like Kyler swung most of the first place votes and crazy. Oh, you won back to back Heisman. So it was a fun trip. It was mostly work. I didn't get to play a whole lot. Um, went to 30 rock, went to Rockefeller Plaza for on Saturday before the ceremony, but uh, no, it was a good weekend. Do you think the Heisman is as prestigious as it used to be? Um, maybe not. I do. Now, maybe that's partly me being a kid, you know? Yeah. I think when you're younger, think everything seems bigger and larger than life. Like, the players seemed better. For, if that seems stupid, it probably is. But, like, when, when, you have Pey- <laughs> when you have Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson going up for it, you know, it just seemed like a much bigger deal. I don't know why. But, but no, it was, it was really cool to be there, to see the trophy up close. Uh, the official ballots were, like, right next to me, like, during the ceremony, I was like, "Can I sneak a peek in there?" And they wouldn't let me do that, obviously. But, uh, it was it was really cool. It's something uh, I'll always remember. It was it was a lot of fun. Local media man arrested for ballot box stuffing at the Heisman. <laughs> corn dog. Put some corn dog envelopes in there. <laughs> no, I I think that uh, I think the Heisman is still pretty awesome because I think that it is. I think it's an encapsulation of who. I don't know just who embodied the the season the most and I, I, it was I thought it was hard this year actually because there wasn't anybody that I mean obviously Tua was great but you've got you've kind of got the rest of Alabama working against him because they're so good Kyler was probably the right choice and you know I, I think this is really difficult for me because I even go back to 2011 and I I will go to my you know deathbed saying that that if Oklahoma State beats Iowa State that Whedon might like maybe wins the Heisman. I mean, he that the week of the Iowa State game, he was the leading vote getter on ESPN.com. They do their Heisman balloting thing or their their uh, Heisman poll thing. And he was in first. And but but at the same time, like 
in a lot of ways, Robert Griffin owned that season. Like he was just so electrifying. Johnny Manziel owned the season that he won the Heisman and, and it didn't, it didn't really feel like that this year. And maybe I just didn't pay close enough attention, but I think if there was somebody, it was, it was probably Kyler. Do you know where uh, Brandon Whedon ended up in voting in 2011? 6th? Mm, he did not make the top 10. Wow. Talk about one game get it, just murdering your Heisman chances. He didn't make the top 10. That's a joke. Neither neither did Justin Blackman. That's a bigger joke to me. I thought, in, in hindsight, and I was all on the Whedon train for Heisman, in hindsight, Justin Blackman probably should have won the Heisman night. I mean, yeah. receivers just, just for whatever reason now, just aren't even candidates. I mean, D.D. Westbrook got there thanks to OU's tremendous marketing push. OU is so good at marketing for Heisman. They got two guys to the Heisman ceremony. But Blackman had 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns. The year before, he had 1,720 touchdowns. Maybe he should have won in 2010 as well. Okay, so the top 10 in 2011 in terms of votes, uh, Robert Griffin had – he got – 1700 vote or points whatever andrew luck got 1400 then you went uh trent, trent richardson at a thousand uh monty ball <laughs> at uh 350 and then you went uh you went tyron matthew matt barkley case keenum kellen moore yeah. uh russell wilson michael james no brandon Whedon, no justin blackman that's that's kind of embarrassing it really is. I mean, he threw some picks. He went through what three interceptions against Iowa State. Yeah, I think he. I think but he like, had, look like, at the whole season. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they would have been different if if they voted after the. It's like the the 2005 thing with with uh, Vince Young and Reggie Bush. You voted after the bowl game. I bet that goes differently. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, Blackman 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 was fifth in 2010. By the way. Okay. Heisman. That's can, can, that's so crazy to me that he goes from like nobody in 2009 like just a dude that came in late in the season and caught a td pass and you know whatever and then 2010 he's fifth in the heisman (laughs) blackman got one first place vote in 2010 who do we think that was (laughs) i got a few guesses (laughs) (laughs) oh man okay uh we need to let's let's move it right along uh it's time for the kubel works toast of the week kubel works Brewing great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgater, get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coupel Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Are you okay? No, I'm not. I'm not okay. <laughs> just the the noise that you made when you started when you started laughing there just just killed me. <laughs> uh... Uh, who are you toasting this week? You there? What'd you say? Sorry, you broke up. Oh, who are you toasting this? I'm one? here. Can you hear me? Yep. I'm going to go full academia nerd on you. <laughs> I'm going to vote. I'm going to toast a, um, what's the most distinguished of the coops? I need some help here. Uh, maybe the amber ale. Yeah, let's do that one. For Red, Red just, amber. Let's do that one. Justice Hill, uh, named Big 12 Scholar Athlete of the Year. First time an OSU player's won that award. Mm. He had he had a 3.64 GPA in finance. I believe you graduated from the Spears School of Business at Oklahoma State. What was your GPA? Uh, it was around there. I don't I don't eh, I don't think it was that high. That's I pretty also, impressive. I also didn't graduate in six semesters. That's even crazier. 
Yeah, that's it's. We overlook how smart Justice is too. I mean, he, not only is he a great player, he is fourth in rushing per game in OSU history. He was fourth in 100 yard games in OSU history, and uh, good in the class as well, classroom as well. So it's cool that he's getting his degree that early and still can go to the NFL. Yeah, for sure, that's a good one. I, I'm gonna toast. Uh, I'm gonna toast Eddie. Uh, you know, we we don't. We reference him every once in a while on this pod, but we don't we don't talk about him in depth a ton. Uh, I'm really excited for this uh, sort of documentary film that that's coming out, uh, made by Chris Hunt and and his crew. It's going to be really really good, and and uh, you know I, I hope that Eddie gets to see all of it or most of it or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was just it, it, I just I thought Saturday was really cool with the Kelvin Sampson Eddie Eddie Sutton thing and. You know, to have Eddie's name on the court, and I don't know. I think we just sort of he he was a big deal, and he was a really important figure for a long time at OSU. So an F five to Eddie, and uh, yeah, I hope we see him at a at a bunch more OSU games. Me too. It's a crime he's not in the Hall of Fame, but uh, that's another story for another pod. Yeah, we'll call we'll call Doug. Uh, Real quick before we get to to Chris's uh, last, I got a quick quick story. Last night uh, I was putting the kids down, reading a story uh, in their bed, and and my oldest or my oldest son, my oldest boy, the four year old, was tackling the two year old boy, and I said, "What are you? What are you doing?" And he was like, "Ah, oh, he started it, you know, whatever." And I'm like, "You're the mature one here," <laughs> and then and then in my head I said. I said, I said the Gundy line, and and so I just said it. I said, "You're supposed to be mature," <laughs> and and like they're all just staring at me, and I'm like, uh, "Just whatever, just ignore me." So, so you said this before bed. They're supposed to be mature adults, but they're really not. <laughs> they're supposed to be mature adults, but they're really not. <laughs> and then I couldn't stop laughing, thinking about you saying the line about how. Supposed, they're supposed to be mature adults, but they're really not. When he comes home, <laughs> upset. Upset. <laughs> it's so good. It's timeless. Did you survive with uh without the misses there with the kids? Yeah, okay? it was a it was a gong show. But uh, I'm alive. The kids are alive. We are. Uh, yeah. How much Chick Fil A did you feed them? Oh, uh, I did all. I did everything at home. Okay. Yeah. We went, I thought well, there was going to be like a moment of, there's got to be a moment of panic where nothing's going right and they're all crying and they're all fighting. <laughs> and you're just like, all right, Chick-fil-A. And they they all brighten up. We we went for donuts one morning, but yeah, we were, uh, no, we, we had a really fun time. I'm trying to teach them how to play chess, um, but we play on the iPad and so it like shows them where to move. So I don't think my, my teaching is very effective. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, we, we had a good time. So I, I did get them to watch the... Um, the OSU Houston game for a while. That was fun. They were fired up. I, I didn't think, get to watch any. Well, I think they like it because the score changes more than in football. <laughs> so like, like the numbers moving. Yeah. So like this, so like soccer would be the worst for them, but like mm-hmm. basketball is, is great because they, they always think it's a big deal for somebody to score. So yeah, yeah fun. I get that instant gratification. Exactly. So, okay. Millenni- Generation Z. Yeah, I know. Gundy wouldn't be a fan. Uh, speaking of Oklahoma State basketball, let's get to this week's OSU schedule brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, pretty light week for OSU this week. I, I, 
I believe it's finals week in Stillwater, uh, which is why nobody's really, really doing anything. But uh, nothing happens until Sunday. Oklahoma State basketball plays against Nebraska. Uh, that game's on the road. I believe it's in Sioux Falls. I think it's a kind of a, a mini tournament, a mini holiday tournament. Uh, and then women's basketball is at UCLA. That's kind of fun. I wish men's basketball would play at UCLA, uh, do a home and home with them. That'd be awesome. And then lastly, wrestling is at uh, Northern Colorado on Sunday. Did you get to see any of the wrestling uh, duel against against uh, OU from from Sunday in Gallagher, Carson? I just I just saw the score. It was it was uh, it might not be a rivalry. <laughs> oh, we get on OU fans for saying that about football. I don't know if we can get on OU wrestling fans. I know that's why I'm saying it. Now it was. Uh, <laughs> It was, yeah, it was a route. You know, it, it does stink because I think OU's just not very good at wrestling right now. And it's it's more fun when you have just just awesome bedlam duels. And uh, they just, they haven't been having them recently. So that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it was way more fun when, when Cade Brock is, is pinning the defending national champion as a freshman. That That's way more fun than when he's, you know, tech falling some guy who has no chance. Did uh, Dayton Fix look good? I'm I'm excited to see Dayton Fix. I'm I'm this guy is is like the um the LeBron James of of collegiate wrestling as far as potential. That's not an overstatement, I don't think. We'll have to we'll have to defer to Seth Duckworth on that statement. But yeah, no, Seth's Seth's fired up about him. Uh he he has looked good so far. I, I I only know what I read of Seth's, what I edit of Seth's. I I do not uh follow as closely or, or watch as much as Obviously, he does, but uh, yeah, I think he's been pretty awesome so far. Well, I think this is OSU's first, or not first, but their best chance in a while to really compete for the national championship. I think last year, John Smith redshirted a lot of guys to kind of point towards, get, you know, he redshirted Fix and a lot of the younger guys. So I think this is where he's really trying to make a push to win another national championship. So that that's a good sign they were that dominant. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit. And then we will come back and uh, we'll, we'll wrap things up with some uh, season superlatives, easy for me to say, from the uh, 2018 football season. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson. Uh, I wrote my superlatives on uh, Monday. And I kind of wanted to go back and forth with you. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what yours are. I don't know what you've come up with, what you've thought of. Um, but uh, we, we should just go back and forth here. I'll give you uh, mine for one category. You give me yours and then and then we'll start with you and just just go back and forth. Okay. Okay. So let's start with uh, with best play. And, and I'll go first with this one. Mine was uh, Justice Hill's run against Boise State. I know it was it was called back. It wasn't actually a touchdown, but that was the play this year that made me. Uh, I think it made me the mo- it made me get out of my seat the fastest. I mean, it, it was. I, I just I couldn't believe what I was watching to have the run and then the stiff arm at the end and and 
you know, at the time we thought score a touchdown. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. He, he, he was unbelievable. That run was unbelievable. And it was, uh, it, it's maybe it's indicative of Oklahoma state season that I'm picking something that didn't end in a touchdown as their best play. But that, that was, <laughs> that was the one that, that got me fired up the most. You're wrong on this one. It's, it's Tylen Wallace's catch on fourth down against Texas where he mossed two dudes mm. for the touchdown. I was up in the press box and, where the press box is, I was on the opposite corner of where he caught it. So, like, when Cornelius threw it, I'm like, what are they doing? I'm fourth and one. This is no chance. He's double covered. And then I just see the cr- I see the crowd react before I could tell he caught it. I was like, wait a second. He caught that? <laughs> like, it was just total disbelief on the play that he had made. Uh, that was the, the best play of the entire season and probably the best game of the season. So, I'll go with uh, Tylen. It's a good one. I like that. Okay, uh, best decision. Uh, I think I agree with you. Best decision had to be going for two against Oklahoma. I, I can't disagree with that. I think it was an obvious decision in the moment, but you got to give Gundy credit for making it regardless. I mean, it's it's very easy, and and now you can kind of see the argument. You know, the the uh, Philadelphia Eagles coach made this argument when he kicked the extra point to go for OT, to tie it instead of going for the win. He said kicking there actually forces the other team to be conservative and play for overtime. So there is an argument there to be made for Mike Gunny kicking there too, but I, th- I thought it was the right call to go for two Yeah, that, with their that, defense. That is interesting. I, I just, Kyler, Kyler, Kyler Murray scored in the big 12 title with like 40 <laughs> seconds and no timeouts. Yeah. So, so you got to just try and get the lead at that point. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. And, and while there was probably too much time left, I just, here's my thing with that play. And, and, and this is, that's what I had as my best decision of the year was, um, I'm I was just, I'm just so sick of Gundy coaching conservatively against against OU and and you know teams that teams that are better than Oklahoma State even like Ole Miss in the in the Sugar Bowl like you can't you can't coach as if you're better than those teams and he does but he hasn't the last two years against OU he's let it he's let it go a little bit he's he's kind of left it all out on the field and to me as somebody who's followed Oklahoma State for years and years and years that's an encouraging thing so. Regardless of like, like you can throw stats and analyze whatever at me. Like I, I just, uh, I just like that he had the um, intestinal fortitude to go for two there. Yep, I agree. Uh, okay, worst decision. I'll start this one. I, I thought it was, and people got on me for this. Whatever, I don't care. Uh, I thought it was Gundy basically threatening members of the media to not ask about Jalen McCluskey, and it, and it kind of set the tone for what throughout the year was just this weird Gundy vibe. And, and I'll get to another piece of it later on. I, I just, I don't know. I thought that was a, a really bad decision. It wasn't on the field. I get that. It didn't affect uh, Oklahoma state's games or outcomes or anything like that. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty weak. Yeah, that's a good one. I had a hard time going away from it, but I'll just, I'll just say the way he handled the quarterback situation all year. I mean, you, you get this reprieve with a four-game redshirt. I know. And you don't use it. <laughs> to me, that was just poor poor roster management, poor coaching. And I'm not saying you had to replace Cornelius for an extended period of time, but the games in which they were bad this year, they, they literally couldn't get a first down or score a point. At those points, which games were those? Tech, K-State, he scored some against Iowa State, Baylor, TCU. And TCU, that's four games right there. You you can't mix it up. You can't try to 
in the in the in the moment during a game try to get a shot in the arm from a different quarterback. That that to me that was horrible coaching and the worst decision of the season. Okay, biggest surprise. Uh, for me, it was how effective Jelani Woods was at, mm. at tight end. I've, I've said this on the podcast. When they moved him, I thought it was just a last-ditch effort to yeah. get something out of a player. You know, that's Sometimes that's when they move players, when they just have failed at a position. But for him, he has big-time potential to the point I, I thought they should have thrown him the ball more, specifically in the red zone. That guy is a matchup nightmare. Uh, he's a physical freak, and I, I'm excited to watch him develop over the next couple of years. I thought that was the biggest surprise for me. Yeah, Kyle Boone pointed this out, but you you, you match him and and uh, the the tight end they have coming in. What's his name? Uh, Grayson Boomer. Grayson Boomer. Yes, if you match them up together, put them on the field at the same time, that's that could be problematic for opposing defenses, which is which is uh, really exciting. I think. My biggest surprise, and it, it shouldn't be, but it still is, Tylen Wallace having the uh, sixth most yards of any receiver since 2000, I think, at Oklahoma State, and he's still got a game left. It goes Blackman in 10, Rashawn in 2, 02, Washington last year, Blackman in 11, Dez in 08, and then Tylen in 18. That's, I mean, that's a list. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And even though he did play as a freshman, and that's usually a sign that you're you're pretty talented, uh, at least in in Mike Gundy's world, I I just it, it's stunning how how good he was. And not only that, but just I, I felt like as the season wore on, he took on more leadership, more of a voice. Like he 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 was. I don't know. I don't know if this like came out really, like if if people could see it. But when when people when when I needed a quote, when I think media members needed a quote, like he was somebody that you went to because it felt like he was a, a really mature and um, good voice for the team. So I'm excited about uh, that development over the next uh, year or hopefully two years. Yeah, he was awesome. And <laughs> we totally underrated him coming into the season, but uh, we will not make that mistake next year. No. Okay. Uh, biggest disappointment. Uh, mine was just how Justice finished his career. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a bummer to see him go out in Bedlam and then that's that's it. You know, you finish 70 yards shy of another 1,000-yard season. And it's nobody's fault. I, I don't I don't blame him. I don't hold it against him. But that just, I don't know, that was kind of lousy for, for such a spectacular career to end like that. Yeah, that was a bummer. And sitting out the last two games was a bummer as well. Um, I kind of touched on it already, but my biggest disappointment is just how inept the offense was during games this season. I mentioned the Kansas State game to score 12 points in that game was against a team that was that bad. Against Kansas State, who was awful. It was a total embarrassment. And it's, this is not just Taylor Cornelius's fault. This is Mike Yurcich's fault. This is Mike Gundy's. I thought at times in that game specifically, the defense played well enough to win. I thought they played well enough to win at Baylor. The defense did. Just when you're Oklahoma State... You cannot be that inept in offense. You're just not going to win. I mean, you're not. You don't have the steel curtain on defense. Like you win games with your offense, which for me goes back to the decision to not mix it up at quarterback. But to me, it was also the the lack of utilization of Taylor Cornelius in the running game. It was a total from top to bottom failure on offense this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. They had games where they were really bad, and the frustrating part I think is that those were also some of those games where the defense was pretty good. You know, I, I talked about how I've been kind of preaching how bad the defense was this year. And from a statistical standpoint, they were, but readers have pointed out correctly that they had games where they were 
They were great. Second half against OU, second half against West Virginia, first half against Texas. TCU, they were plenty good enough to win. Baylor, they were good enough to win. They were great at K-State in the first half. Uh, and and the offense let him off the hook. So, um, okay, this is uh, weirdest, best, strangest, worst, whatever, whatever word you want to put in there, stat of the season. Uh, for me, it's Oklahoma State being sixth in the country in sacks and having a bad defense. Like the most important thing you can do in football is, is get after the passer, and especially in a league like the Big 12 where all they do is pass. I mean, listen to the teams that are ahead of – or they're tied with Ohio State in sacks. Alabama's fifth. Penn State's third. Clemson's two. I mean, North, Northern Illinois is one. That's neither here nor there. But <laughs> who's fourth? Th- those those are the names. Uh, well, there's two. UAB and Penn State were tied for third. <laughs> but my point is, like, OSU's defense was really bad this year. But isn't that strange that yeah. they were top six in the country at sacking the quarterback yet? Their cornerbacks were still under fire despite all of that, despite that great pass rush to me. It was just – it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I think – yeah. And Well, I mean, the other thing that doesn't make sense is how they created so few turnovers. Like 104 – I mean, how can you get to the quarterback that much and not – I mean, they created one turnover per game. And -hmm. I think only three their last six games. That's just – I don't know. I don't get that. Uh, My weirdest stat was Oklahoma State as a home favorite from 2005 to 2016 – they were 48 and 6 as a home favorite. That's pretty good. 2017 and 2018 as a home favorite, they're 5 and 5. <laughs> that's yep. that's not good. Story of the season, really. Story of the last few years and I think that mm-hmm. more than anything is why people are I don't know, frustrated with Gundy. If they're frustrated with Gundy, that's why. And and it's fair. I mean, it's totally fair. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's what he used to do so well was beat the teams he's supposed to. So it's um, it's a, some the program needs to do some soul searching on that. I mean, because they they lost some bad teams. You want to come on the podcast, Mrs. Pistols? She just walked into my office, didn't know we were taping. Uh, okay, best moment. Uh, my best moment of the season was Mike Gundy going full uh, gladiator in the Texas game. Uh, after the Tom Herman uh, Brecken Hager incident at midfield, and uh, I think Gundy, I think Gundy knew what he was doing, played it up a little bit, and I loved every second of it. It was awesome. Yeah, I would agree. That combined with the Taylor Cornelius touchdown run out of nowhere, I thought was maybe the play of the season as well. We already mentioned play, but just the entire Texas game was the uniforms. The performance, the win, the rushing of the field, and specifically Gundy, Gundy doing the "Are You Not Entertained?" to the crowd was definitely the moment of the season. Uh, okay, next is either bet. We won't do both. We'll do either best or worst quote. What do you have for best or worst quote? <laughs> <laughs> That's my answer. And we got two of them, or maybe three. Best and worst. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of was. So my, my my best, this went under the radar, uh, but somebody at the Tulsa World, I think it was Garen Emig, had a, an exchange with Mike Yersich after the Kansas State game, and he said, are you, are you alarmed by what happened here today? And Yersich said, Yersich said, I expect way more production out of our offense. And so – the Tulsa, whoever this was for the Tulsa world said that makes this more disappointing than typical. 
And Yursic said, unless you're a masochist. No, that's a great line. It's a very dry sense of humor. It, um, it kind of underscores how I've kind of heard that Yursic is a funny guy. He just, we don't get to see it very often, but I thought that was a funny moment. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go with, uh, best meme as, uh, as Bryce Harper calls them. <laughs> uh, anything Gundy, whether it's the smoothie, the, the fart noises that, that obviously is the, the runaway favorite, but I'll go with uh, Tyron Johnson's hurdle. Mm. Just me, me avoiding responsibility is like the meme. Me avoiding chores, <laughs> hur- hurtling over the laundry basket. That's pretty good. Uh, I'll that's, go with that. That's pretty solid. Mine was Gundy. I think it was after the South Alabama game when he kind of sidled up to the uh, to the podium and was stirring his smoothie, and then he just he did that lean over on like one forearm where he's just like. <laughs> staring out under his visor like he's the best college football coach that's ever lived and uh didn't really get to use that one a lot this year uh, because of what transpired after that but that was pretty good uh, okay last few story that got too much attention for me it was it was a quarterback situation and i mean i will defend how much we talked about it because it was the primary story of the year it just got tiring and it got and it felt like i I'm just I'm excited about hopefully and ready for the quarterback situation to be stable in Stillwater and uh, so yeah that that was it for me. Uh, for me, it was McCleskey's transfer, and for me, it was Gundy's own doing. I mean, think about it. If he doesn't issue that ultimatum, that story goes away after one day of availability. People yeah. will say we wish Jay on the best. Yep. Have a great career. He wants to leave. Fine. Like done. Like, it's like JD. Yeah. Right. Are we. We're not even talking about JD. No, we talked about it for like two days and it's like, okay, see ya. Yep. So I thought that got way too much attention, but that was, that was Gundy's undoing. Yep. Uh, okay. Last one story that didn't get enough attention. I'll let you go first. Um, story that did not get enough attention. I actually don't have an answer for this one. Okay. I'll go with mine. Oklahoma state. I already mentioned this, but they created three turnover. Excuse me. They created three turnovers in their last six games. That's horrible. It's awful. And, and, you know, again, like giving up points is one thing. Like you said, Oklahoma State's always going to give up a lot of points. That's just going to happen. It's going to happen to everybody in the Big 12, and it's, and it's going to happen maybe even, even more so to Oklahoma State because they, they play fast. They have a ton of possessions, but you have to create turnovers to give your offense a chance to, to score two touchdowns in a row or three touchdowns in a row or whatever and get a little bit of a lead on a team – uh, to, to try and put them away. And that's what we saw. We saw a lot of that from the last few years of the, of the Rudolph era. And we didn't see that this year. And I think that that story just, it didn't get enough attention because to me, it was one of the primary reasons that they were losing this, these one possession games. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to discuss or analyze too, because turnovers are so random. You just throw your hands up and say, they're not getting turnovers. But like, how do you even, I remember covering the 2011 team and we would ask them every single week how are you creating so many turnovers and there was really no solid answer for it i mean they work on it sure but uh no it's just it's just one of those things where it it gets you beat and there's no real answer for why it it is getting you beat i I do have a i do have an answer for this one okay go ahead um it, it was properly covered on on your blog but i don't think it's been properly covered enough within the big 12 or even just in the state of Oklahoma is, is how good Chuba Hubbard is. 
and what kind of player he's going to be. He had 595 rushing yards this season, but 411 of those came in the final five games. So he really exploded in the last, you know, it's 100 yards a game basically the last five games. So he uh, he really lit it up late, and I, I don't think we've properly put into context a, a redshirt freshman doing that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it did get buried a little bit. I, I don't know... I don't know why maybe maybe there was more attention on justice or people thought justice was coming back or Cornelius or whatever. But, uh, I mean, I, I think the expectation is for him to be a thousand yard back next year. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he showed some abilities I didn't know he had yeah. right between the tackles and, uh, he definitely got the last word on, uh, Brendan Radley Hiles after Bedlam. Remember Bradley Hiles was, I guess, talking smack on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Chuba just put, Number one, his first touchdown. Number two, his second touchdown. Number three, just just adding him every single time. <laughs> I thought it was a, a really good comeback as well. So Chuba's, Chuba's quick with his feet and with uh, his comebacks. That's great. Uh, I did forget about this one because we already sort of talked about it last week, but best and worst uniform. I think we probably have uh, pretty similar answers here. Yeah, the all gray with the black helmet, easily easily the worst of the year. I yeah. thought most of their uniforms this year were awesome, even though they did some repeats, which why, why are we repeating anything in, in 2018? Where are we at in <laughs> society today? But uh, I wouldn't mind uh, repeating the, the, the throwbacks. The 88 throwbacks were clearly the best uniform by far. Yep, I agree. I'm not a gray hater. I think gray is, is awesome, especially when it's part of your school colors. But I don't like the all gray. I think that's not good. Mm-mm. Only Georgetown can pull that off. Yes, AI. Leave that to AI. <laughs> uh, okay, Carson, I'm heading out of town, going to Austin, get away for a few days. Uh, what do you have coming up this week? I had one interesting thing. Oh, wait, I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Let's do it. One interesting thing. Let's go. Well, I was in the lobby after the Heisman ceremony, and I was talking to Brian Keating and, and John Hoover from the franchise. We were just kind of going over – the vote, what we thought, and everything else. And in walks Eddie George, yeah, former Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he's behind Brian. I'm facing him, but Brian and Hoover have their back turned. And Eddie George was the size of Indomitian Sioux. He was like 6'5". He looked like he weighed about 280, like of pure muscle. Is he? F- he's still fit, right? Yeah. And he, he was just how tall he was. Yeah. I just, I, before they could turn around, I go, I just look and I go, Eddie George played running back? <laughs> and they they, they both kind of slowly turn around and they turn back around with their eyes just wide. I was like, he looks like a defensive tackle. <laughs> who had a, who was tackling that guy? When he, it, was, it was really absurd to, to witness in person. This guy played running back? It was, it doesn't even make sense how big the guy was. He, he had the shoulder pads that made him look like six feet wide too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's also that's also my my number one Heisman vote snub is him winning over Tommy Frazier. Tommy Frazier was perhaps the best college football player I've ever seen. I know. Played on played on the best college football team I've ever seen, and he didn't win the Heisman. So I know. It's crazy. I know it is crazy. He was he was unbelievable, but George was good too. I mean, and and he obviously went on to have a great or a much better pro career than than uh, Tommy Frazier did. Um, well, Frazier had blood clots too, but he was an option quarterback. Yeah. My one interesting thing, which is going to make some people angry, is 
that Lincoln Riley now has as many Heisman winning quarterbacks as a head coach as Mike Gundy has big uh, Bedlam wins. <laughs> you love twisting a knife on that stat. It's not good. And maybe, maybe that maybe Lincoln Riley never coaches another Heisman winner, but guess what? He's going to get everybody now because he can point and say, all I do is coach Heisman winning quarterbacks. Cause that's, <laughs> that's literally all he's done. And it's just, it's not a, that's not like a referendum on Mike Gundy's coaching or anything like that. It just stinks because you've entered a situation. I wrote about this last year. I said, is, is, oh, you really going to get better after the best, maybe the best coach they've ever had leaves. And the answer is yes. Unbelievably. Yes. And I, I just, it's, you know, it, when Bob Stoops retires, you look at it as an Oklahoma state person and you're like, okay, is that a window? Is that a window I see opening with James Washington, Mason Rudolph coming back? Could you win the big 12 title? What, how's this going to play out? And a year and a half later, it's like, well, I don't know if it was a window, but if it was, it's shut and it, and it shut in a hurry. And I don't know. That just is, uh, that's just frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. He's totally revitalized OU's recruiting, which is something that had, you know, we kind of overlooked because Bob Stoops still won the Big 12 every year, but their recruiting had really slipped. And yeah. now it's now it's back. Yeah. Maybe and their maybe, defense is only going to get better. There's only one way to go for their defense to go, and that's up. And they're maybe, the worst in the country. Maybe recruiting is one of those deals where, like, you can only do it for – eight years or six years or 10 years or whatever before you're just like, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm done with this. Like maybe that's the reality because we're seeing it. I mean, we saw it, like you said, with Stoops, we're seeing it with Gundy, but uh, yeah, it's just the, the, the contrast is stark now with OU and Oklahoma state when it comes to recruiting. Just look at Dan Mullen's face standing next to the dad in the full uniform. (laughs) I saw that. And and that's where we're at with recruiting now. Like Dan Mullen's face just said it all. He's like, I'm really doing this, aren't I? This is how desperate I am for this 18 year old kid to come to my school. <laughs> the dad bod was in full effect. Oh, that's great. Okay, Carson. Good times. Good show. Uh, we will talk again next week. Sounds good. Talk to you later.